0: My name is Heather Roosh, I am a life issues speaker, educator, Um, I speak with youth all over the country every every year about issues of life and sexuality and one of the things we're going to talk about today is how those things come together and they actually have a lot to do with each other Um, and it's not by accident. I believe that our most powerful earthly tools are our tongue and our testimony. Our tongue and our testimony. It's our boldness to speak forth our experiences and then encourage somebody else by sharing them. Your tongue, your willingness to speak, and then your testimony, sharing it with somebody else to encourage them, to support them, and to help them learn and grow, right? So the reason that I got into life issue speaking is... um, Actually, it was, it was because of some really bad mistakes and choices that I made in my life growing up. I was a lot like you guys. I grew up in a loving Christian family with wonderful parents. I went to Life Fest and um, all kinds of great Christian festivals. I went to church on Sundays. Um, and yet, in my sophomore year of college, I found myself staring down at a positive pregnancy test. 19 years old. Probably the same age as a lot of you out there right now. That didn't happen by accident either. Decision after decision in my life brought me to the place where I am, at that point, staring down at a positive pregnancy test. I was living a life that made me feel good in the moment, and I didn't really think much more about it after that. I just went about my day and did the things that made me feel good. And you know what? All these years later, I realized I bought into a lie. I bought into a lie that my value is found in my sexuality, in my desirability, in the affirmation that I was getting from other people. So here's what God has shown me to encourage you with today through this presentation, my body, my life, my value in Christ. I thought that sex was just something that you did as you grew up. You start liking boys, you get a boyfriend, you gradually lead up to having sex because that's where you feel loved. That's how you show love. That's how you show value of somebody else. That's how you receive value. Doesn't that sound familiar? A lot like what we, we, we live and experience in our culture today? Absolutely. We want to feel desirable. That life is about feeling good in the moment. And that if you're not with somebody who makes you feel good, you're not valuable. So what happens? We see it all the time. We move on to the next person, right? We find somebody else who makes us feel valuable. And when that wears off, we find somebody else who makes us feel valuable. And something that started off as a means to build community and worth in your life and camaraderie and companionship now separates you separates you. And that's where I ended up. All that feeling good, I ended up instead of feeling loved and honored, bonded, connected, valued, I felt alone. Staring down at that pregnancy test, I was already a mom. The weight of that child's life was already in my heart. The memory of that child, that child's life will never go away from me. From that point on, that child has been created. And I was alone. And there was no one around to help me. The night before I went to the abortion clinic, I'm 19 years old. I'm laying in bed, and a verse came to mind that my mom had told me my whole life. But up until this point, I honestly don't remember ever... Saying that verse, or, you know, all the, all the way through my high school and my college years, I never remember speaking that verse forth. But here I am, laying in my bed, contemplating this huge decision, feeling the most alone that I have ever felt in my life. And in my head I hear, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all things acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Heather! Heather! Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your limited, tiny, earthly understanding in all your ways. Not just in some ways. Not just in the ways that make me feel good in the moment, but in all your ways. Trust in him and he will direct my path. I woke up that morning and I couldn't do it. I could not go and have an abortion. I knew though, I knew that God was going to take care of me, and from that day forward he surrounded me with people who picked me up, lifted me out of that deep, dark, lonely place I was in, and they wrapped their arms around me, and then, not only that, but as I went through my pregnancy, and after my sweet Bella was born, they cared for me and they took care of me, and you know what? That was not an accident. Are you seeing a theme here? That was not on accident. God did that. Because God values every human life. Every single human life. The value of life is not subjective. It is not dependent upon your circumstances, your sins, the way you came about, your choices. Every human life has value. I mean, really, if every human life doesn't have value, then no human life has value at all, right? That's what it comes down to. So as we move into the presentation a little more now, my body, my life, my value in Christ, that's my tongue and my testimony. That's the reason I stand up here because I didn't know that I mattered. Nobody told me that. I bought into the lie that Satan was feeding me all around me, oftentimes subliminally through all of this sexual propaganda that's in our culture, that's aimed at getting you to question your value. And we're gonna talk about why that's so important to Satan, for you guys to question how valuable you are, and for you to think that you don't matter. This entire presentation is about being able to hold the lies of the culture and the lies of Satan up against the truth of God's word. My body, my life, my value in Christ, not my body, my choice. This is something that we see all the time, especially when we're talking about the pro-choice, pro-life uh, discussion. Just because you're right does not mean I am wrong. You just haven't seen life from my side. That sounds like a, a pretty good statement, right? Do you guys agree with that? We hear that a lot. I don't have to agree with you. You don't have to agree with me. You do you and I'll do me, right? We've heard that, right? Except that. When we hold the truth up to that lie, we can see the distinction. But one of those people is wrong. Ouch. It's true though, one of those people is wrong. Someone painted a six or a nine, and they need to back up and orient themselves. They need to see if there are any other indications, numbers to align with, buildings to align with, any other indications that they can line up, and maybe there's a driveway or a building to face, but something that gives them context and tells them. Maybe there's somebody who actually knows. I have found that in matters of heart and head, the best thing to do is to pick up your Bible, ask God, find out what he has to say about it. As the creator of all things, he certainly has something to say about it. I want you guys to take a look now at This quote by Reverend Dr. John Kleinig, he's an Australian theologian, and I promise I won't get too boring on you, but this is a fantastic, phenomenal uh, quote that really indicates and starts us off on the right foot. It says, this argument for chastity, both before marriage and in marriage, chastity is abstinence, waiting until you get married to have sex, okay? For any sexual interaction. This argument for chastity, both before marriage and in marriage, has at its foundation the conviction that sex, though obviously physical, is also a deeply personal matter. For better or worse, it touches and affects me and my very self. It has as much, if not more, to do with my mind than it does with my body. It affects how I think. It affects how I feel and what grips my imagination. It has, in fact, more to do with my soul, my sense of self, me as a whole person rather than me as a man or a woman. Thus, there's a little word there, that old ancient word thus. That means listen up because here's why I'm telling you this. Thus, if sex is not properly personalized it can depersonalize those who engage in it. I saw that in my life. I have seen that personally in my life and probably a lot of you have too. Maybe not personally yet, but you've certainly seen it in friends, in family members, in people around you, in the culture. Sex is powerful. God knows it and Satan knows it too. Sex has way more to do with my physical body. It's deeply spiritual. That's why Satan is so busy diminishing its power, making you think that it's not a big deal. For example, it's just sex. We hear that all the time, it's just sex. Not, in fact, something that has more to do with my soul, my sense of self, my identity as a whole person rather than my identity as a man or a woman it's just a choice. We hear that all the time, don't we? It's just a choice, not the actual body of an entirely whole child of God, physically, mentally, spiritually, um, emotionally, and socially. Yes, that baby inside the mama's womb is socially connected in community with that mama and with God forever. It's just a piece of paper. How many times have you heard that? It's just a piece of paper. Marriage is not actually the truest, most real example given to us of Jesus' relationship with him and the love that he has for his church. His church, you and I. That's what marriage is. It's a picture of how Christ relates to us and how much he loves us and how he gives to us. And then it's also a picture of how we receive him. Wow! It's not just a piece of paper. This pro-life, pro-choice argument is about way more than abortion. Way more than abortion. Satan is attacking your value and your identity. As a child of God, we are God's most treasured possessions. You matter. You matter the most to your real, present God who is really here, really with you, really present in your lives. You are his most valuable possession. Think about how you treat something that is the most valuable thing you have. I have a a wedding ring that was my mother's and it was my grandmother's before that. You think I'm going to wear that wedding ring when I go swimming in the community pool? What do you think? Why? Why wouldn't I wear my my beautiful heirloom ring in the community pool? It, It might get ruined. It might get lost. Right? Is that how I care for something that is valuable? No. I keep it put away. I take it out and I polish it. I tell my, my, my family, my friends about it. I share with them this incredible value that this thing, this, this most prized possession has to me. I share that with the world. I care for it. God cares for you. He gives you things in order to care for you. He tells you things in order to keep you safe. He knows that Satan is attacking your value and your identity. And he has a lot to say about it. I always say, you know, when you meet my family, and for some of you you might know my kids and my husband, when you meet us, there's kind of a way about us. We kind of look alike, we kind of talk alike, you know, we kind of dress alike. There's things that we do that are just a lot alike. And you can tell that we belong together, right? You're probably thinking of people in your head right now that you know, like, yes, they definitely go together. We have a way about us, our family, the ruches. In the same way as God's children, you have a way about you because God has a way about him. You go with him. He styles you in his image. It's his style. It's our worldview. It's the way that we live our lives. It's what we look like. It's the clothing that we put on every day. Satan knows that. He wants to destroy it. If you guys can picture for me an incredible battle that's happening. And as the forces of good and evil, as we've seen in all of these, like Avengers movies, and all the, I don't even know what they are, you guys probably know better than I do, but there's all these superhero movies. Everyone for all of time has the good guy and the bad guy, right? The villain and the hero, okay? So picture this battle that's raging. It's happening right now as we speak. It's the spiritual battle, and it's the battle of good versus evil for the souls of the people, you and I. What does the villain always go after First. That which is most valuable to the good guy, you and me. How does he do it? He uses sin to give us a bad conscience that separates us from God. And he twists and he distorts the good things of God, the good things that God's created. We often don't even recognize that it's happening. It's happening right underneath our noses, and we don't even realize it until we see the truth held up next to the lie of the culture. It's just sex. No, it's not just sex. It's just a choice. No, it is not just a choice. It's just a piece of paper. It's not just a piece of paper. Satan uses our sexuality against us to depersonalize us and devalue the way that we see ourselves and others, leading us to believe that human life And the relationships that we have here on earth are far less valuable and unique than they really are. It's just sex. It's just a choice. It's just a piece of paper. Sex without consequence, sensuality that's tempting us all the time, sexual sins, promoting of casual sex with many different people, all of these things are the result of looking for our value in our sexuality rather than in our Father, rather than in Jesus. Do you see how Satan has just dangled that carrot? He's distracting you just enough so that the truth is just a little bit off. We still feel loved for a little while. We still feel valued for a little while. That's not God's way. That's not how God intended it. God is all about constants. And Satan is all about moment by moment by moment. God looks into your future. God knows everything about you. He is all about the steady and the stable and the firm. Satan is all about the moment. It's oh, Temptation feels good at first. That's why it's tempting. Right? Satan is slowly and deliberately conditioning each one of us to see God's fundamental building blocks. Okay, our fundamental building blocks as no big deal. I'm talking about things like our church life, our family, the value of family, the value of marriage, interpersonal relationships, like hanging out and talking to somebody and looking them in the eye, okay, community around us, the world around us. He wants to divide us more and more. And what happens when you're divided? What if we just started breaking the room apart from the inside out? One person would eventually be left, right? That's what he wants. He wants you to feel separated from the world first and then from God. Because when you are separated, you are alone. You are vulnerable. You're weak. But together, as a community, as a body of Christ, we are strong. We are strong. Unbreakable, actually. Satan's number one goal is to separate you from God. As a culture, we are consumed with sexual desire. All around us, at any given time, we are surrounded by American industry that uses sex to sell their, pro- their, their products. And this is, an intentional, um, this is intentionally done through consumerism and sexual propaganda. We're gonna talk a little bit more about what propaganda is, but it's very often coming at you, at all of us, um, on subliminal levels. There are people whose job for the last 90 years has been to target you according to age, race, any demographic that you can think of, and then sell you a product in the way that you're most likely to receive it. That is American consumerism and marketing. Enter Satan, and Satan uses that propaganda to devalue your worth. Sex sells, this we know. It sells because it taps into the addictive parts of your brain, which God created on purpose to bond you with your spouse on a deeper level than anyone else in this entire world. Addiction bonds you and keeps you coming back for more. And as with most things, there's a positive and there's a negative effect. I always tell my husband, Matt Roosh, I don't ever want to quit you. That's a good addiction, right? I don't want to quit my husband. He's great. He's my very best friend in this whole entire world. But there's also a flip side to that. There's a negative. Sex is powerful, whether used for good or for evil. The good things of God, the things that God created for good, Satan has twisted and distorted into something that's dangerous and destructive to your value. And that's what it comes down to. An addiction to desire in our country. As individuals and as a culture, we are consumed with that sexual desirability. And none of us, none of us are safe from it. And that's why it's so important for us to recognize the truth of God's word held up against the lies of the culture. That's why, you know, I always say, you cannot save yourself from sexual sin. We're surrounded by it, girls. Ladies, we are surrounded by the sexual desire of our country and and consumerism that is targeting you, and it's a very intentional push on Satan's part to draw us and separate us and make us question our value. We see it in photos all over social media, don't we? I love the philosophical ones with major cleavage, And then you have the girl and she's got like this really deep, deep philosophical quote. It's like we're not supposed to notice all the cleavage. For real? Like am I really liking your philosophical quote or am I liking your cleavage? Am I affirming you in your body and what your body looks like? Okay, we see it all the time. And that goes for guys too. That's not just the girls. All you guys have to do is scroll through your social media, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. This need to be affirmed for our sexual value, our sexual desire. It's just a little off, isn't it? It's not where you should be looking. We need to look to Christ, find our value in Him, because our value there is true value, true love, true acceptance, true worth. In Christ, we find all the things that we need in order to move through this world with success with joy, no matter what. Instead of going back to social media or back to our friends or back to our boyfriend for a shot of approval, we go God. And we remember our value that every human life has to him. We also see it in the way that we approach marriage as something outdated and old fashioned. Again, when the feeling wears off, we move on for another hit of desire from someone new. Ironically, what began as a mission to find acceptance and community, dating, marriage, Satan has twisted against us to separate us from God. Satan wants us to chase our tail, looking for our value in relationship after relationship with no concern for the brokenness that comes from sexual sin. Two summers ago, Our family had the opportunity to go down to Orlando, Florida. And um, we we went, and while we were there, we visited the Holocaust Museum that's there. And there we listened, we watched, and we mourned over the loss of lives under the reign of German ruler Adolf Hitler. As an extension of the museum, there was an exhibit highlighting the effects of marketing propaganda all throughout the 20th and the 21st centuries in America. And to be clear, propaganda is biased information that's designed to shape public opinion and behavior. This is a real thing. I'm not just a fanatical person up here throwing all these weird, wild ideas at you. This is for real. And this is where we see how real it is. A major advantage that allowed Hitler and his army to successfully eliminate almost an entire demographic of human beings, approximately six million Jewish uh, people of Jewish heritage and faith, was because of the targeted marketing and propaganda against them for several years leading up to the Holocaust. The German Nazi regime intentionally zeroed in on all of them and decided that they were an inferior race and then plotted to murder them all. This is history, guys. The population of Germany, and this is the really, really hard part, this is the part that convicts me. The population of Germany that wasn't Jewish or Nazi, the majority of all who were really good, faithful, loving, kind, good people, they supported these horrific events as well. You know why? Because they'd been had by. Propaganda, just like we, are being had by sexual propaganda in our culture. The propaganda created, hear me now, superficial convictions about human life that never developed into more extensive thinking on the value of human life. They were just hanging out in superficial land, nodding and smiling and taking everybody's word for it and they never stopped for a minute to move on to the point and to think, really think clearly about what was it? What were the intentions of the creator? Go all the way back to the beginning slides, you guys. Who has something to say about it? Where can we find out the truth? They didn't do that. They just let it happen. When I was working in crisis pregnancy centers, on the front lines, coming alongside girls facing unplanned pregnancies, contemplating abortion, the number one thing that they said to me, over and over and over, nobody told me that I mattered. Nobody told me that God actually has something to say about this. Nobody told me that he intended sex and marriage to, to be a certain way. Nobody told me what he thought about it. Nobody told me that he created every human life and that every human life has value. Modern propaganda draws upon techniques and strategies used in advertising, public relations, communications, and mass psychology. It simplifies complicated issues or ideology for popular consumption. It's always biased and is geared to achieving a particular end. Propaganda generally employs symbols, whether in written, musical, or visual forms, and plays upon and channels complex human emotions toward a desired goal. It is often employed by governmental and private organizations to promote their causes and institutions and denigrate their opponents. Propaganda functions as just one weapon in the arsenal of mass persuasion. In contrast to the ideal educator, who aims to foster independent judgment and thinking. The practitioner of propaganda does not aim to encourage deliberation by presenting a variety of viewpoints and letting it, um, and leaving it up to the audience to determine what perspective is correct. The propagandist transmits only information geared to strengthen his or her case and consciously omits detrimental information. Not all propaganda is bad. Propaganda is used to shape public Um, or to shape opinion and behavior, the real danger of propaganda lies when competing voices are silenced and unchecked, propaganda can have negative consequences. I want to go back to this first part, and I want you to look. It simplifies complicated issues or ideology for popular consumption. Would you think that abortion is a complicated issue? Yeah. Yeah. Would you think marriage in our culture today is a complicated issue? And sex, casual sex, is a complicated issue. Propaganda simplifies those issues for popular consumption. They feed it to you in a way that you are most likely to receive it and purchase their products and, so that they can make money off of you. That's what it's about. So what does this have to do with abortion and sex and marriage? Well, first, Planned Parenthood, which is our nation's largest abortion provider, made $563.8 million last year off of abortions only, $563.8 million dollars from American consumers off of abortion only. 96% of their services were abortions and that information comes from the Guttmacher Report which is their annual report that they release. They, you can find all of their information online, all of their demographics online, and you can look in their Guttmacher Report and you can find out exactly what their numbers are. It's All tied together. That's what you need to know ladies, it is all tied together and it's a very intentional push by the culture to sell you something and by Satan to take away your value and separate you from God. It's all tied together, casual sex, abortion, and the devaluing of marriage. And I won't just say abortion, it's the defacing of human life that takes a lot of different forms. But he is trying to get us to see it as something casual, something that's no big deal. And the more we see it that way, the more that we buy into it. And then the more that we're impacted by it. And it kind of eats away at us from the inside out until we're wondering, why am I so stressed? Why am I so hurt? Why can't I get out of this hole? What's going on with my life? It's slipping away. Here are just a couple other statistics for you. Unmarried women account for 86% of all abortions in America. Do you think marriage would help with the abortion rates in America? Yeah, probably, right? 50% of all marriages in the United States will end in divorce. Infidelity is the number one reason given. Number two is a lack of communication, that interpersonal connection, that community with others. We're in the midst of a sexually transmitted epidemic, sexually transmitted infection epidemic, as declared by the the CDC, the Center for Disease Control in the United States. We are in an epidemic of sexually transmitted infections. One in two sexually active people in in the United States will contract an STI, sexually transmitted infection, by the age of 25. Hmm. Marriage was the first institution put forth by God. It's just a piece of paper? It's not just a piece of paper. Satan uses casual sex, the defacing of human life, and the defacing of every one of his children to deface the bride of Christ. So I want to look with you guys quickly here at Ephesians 5:22-32 here's where marriage comes into it, okay? Marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship with his church. The most beloved children of God, that's you and me, okay? In holy marriage, God gives us the best visual example of how his son loved us so much that he gave himself up for us. And then we see in Ephesians, it says, wives, submit to your husband's As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of his wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Remember, you guys are the church. That he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Paul is saying this is crazy awesome. This picture that, that marriage gives us of how we relate to Christ. How we receive what he gives to us and then how we, or how we yeah, receive what he, gives, what he gives to us. And then how we receive him back. Okay? This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In order to assure that we are cared for, that we're cleansed and sanctified and able to be presented to God, the holy of holies, the awesomeness and the holiness of God, we sinners cannot be presented to God without Jesus. We can't. We would die. He is so holy. So powerful. We need Jesus to wash us of our sin, to cleanse us, to prepare us so that we can stand alongside him before our Heavenly Father, our Creator. And I can't help but picture there's a a painting I saw once where Jesus is standing there, and the person, you know, assuming you and I put yourself there, standing next to Jesus, and the full radiance and the light of God is just filling them. It's all over them. It goes through them, it comes back out, and you're able to give it then to the world. That radiance of God, that love of God. Marriage is a picture, it's a microcosm, it's like a miniature version, okay, of Christ's relationship with his church. Naturally, my sexuality is totally directly connected to marriage. God created marriage to be a visual example of Christ and his church, you and I, but also as a way to bind myself with another person here on earth in the most powerful way possible. Again, to give just an inkling of the love that he has for us, a mere taste of the depths of his love for us. He gave us marriage as a means to have children and to raise a family so that we might see our place as children in his family. We have a way about us. We go with God, just like my kids go with me. My husband and I go together. We can look at that family, and we can look and see our place then as children of God. My sexuality is absolutely connected to marriage and therefore impacts the way I view Christ's relationship with myself and with others. If I don't know my own value, I can't see the value in somebody else but it's when I do know the value that I have in Christ that I can see the value in every other single human life, at every stage, in every form. The value of human life is not subjective. So what's the solution? I was impressed by a a pastor once who said, God is constantly telling us who he is so that we can find ourselves, our true identity in him. Oh, the irony, right? Since the beginning of time, we've been continually trying to get God to find his identity in us instead, aren't we? The God of all creation certainly does not need us to tell him who he is. He doesn't give us our own personal Jesus, a Jesus that fits into the mold that we make for him. He gives us a Jesus who is personal to us. God establishes right in the beginning in Exodus 3.14, 3.14, that I am that I am. He says that about himself. He didn't say that I am whoever you want me to be and or whoever makes you feel good about your choices or better about your life. He is God. The, tr- the only true God. And I find a tremendous amount of comfort when I'm speaking to youth all across the country. I pose that and there are people who will say, wow, that hurts. What do you mean? God isn't You know, personal to me. What do you mean? God loves everybody. God does love everybody so much that he sent his son who makes himself personal to you in your situations, in whatever is happening in your life right now. He is real. He is present. But he's still God. And that brings me a tremendous amount of comfort as I go through my life and I know that God has all the control, all the wisdom, and all the know-how that I lack. We cannot save ourselves from sexual sin. God instills value, not man. Sinners have no moral compass to be in the business of instilling value, right? God instills value. Your value does not depend on components that shift or change. The value of every human life is determined by our creator, God the Father, Even though Christianity has a lot to do with a way of life, and I want you guys to hear me on this, because this is something that we need to hear in the church today, especially as young people. Even though Christianity has a lot to do with a way of life, our worldview, how we see things, it's not just a religious philosophy of life that helps us understand our place in God's world. And it's not just a religious code of behavior that maps out how we best live our life here on earth. It's not. The main focus of our Christian faith is not on how to think or feel or act religiously, but instead on how to live, like Paul says in the book of Acts, with a clear conscience before God and the people around us. That's the basic premise that is, for better or worse, the state of our conscience colors our entire experience of God. Where is your conscience? Titus 1 says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and the unbelievers, nothing is pure. Both in their, but, it, but both their minds and consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. How we receive God And respond to his word depends on the state of our conscience. It's like a mirror. This is the best way I can tell you. It's like a mirror. And if it's stained or if the surface of it is uneven, it does not receive light. Accurately, right? And it doesn't reflect it accurately. It doesn't reflect what's in front of it if it's stained or if the surface is uneven. The cleaner that the mirror is, the clearer its reception and reflection of that light. Right? Or, for example, take a pool of water. If it's muddy and dirty, the light of the sun magnifies its darkness. If it's clear, and the light of the sun not only comes in and lights up the water, but it also makes everything under the surface visible, that clear water reflects the sky above it and everything around it. The clearer the water, the clearer the illumination and the reflection our conscience is like a mirror. It's like that pool. If it's stained, if it does not receive and reflect the light of God, if it's clear, it does reflect. It's filled with the light that enlightens it and gives us insight. In your baptism, God wrote his name on you. In the same way that before the school year, every year, I would go to the store and I'd buy all my school supplies and I'd write my name on them because I wanted everybody to know that they were mine and I didn't want anybody to take them. The day you were baptized, God wrote his name on you and he said, I don't want anybody taking you from me. You are mine. You matter. In your baptism, God made you his. He wrote his name on you. Understanding the conscience is what enables us to discern the lie of the culture from the truth of God's word. That fight between the heart and the head, experience has taught me, guys, to pick up my Bible and see what God has to say about it. The divine service that we go to, think about those words, divine service, we invoke the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when we go to church in the divine service. It's the service that God is giving to us, right? This is how we get a clear conscience. This is how we stand before God. This is how we handle the culture's lies that, that, and, and the questions that we have. And all of the, the struggles that we have in this world, we handle them by receiving the good gifts that God gives us. When we go to church, the very first thing that we do is we invoke the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the invocation. You're a member of God's family, and as a member, you can call upon your Father. His name is written on you in your baptism. The next thing that we do is go to confession and absolution, where we receive Jesus and his forgiveness of all of our sins. He welcomes us to come to him and to share our lives with him, and then he cleanses us and forgives us, and he says, you are forgiven, lay it at the cross. Then the service of the word. God serves you his word, his Holy Spirit. If you're looking for guidance, if you have questions, receive God's word. And the service of the sacrament, Holy Communion, where God serves you, Christ's body and blood, that cleanses and restores and strengthens your body and your blood, your spirit. Jesus with you. He gives you Jesus. In your baptism, in the forgiveness of sins, in his word, and in Holy Communion. But I want to give you a way to practically take this out into your communities with you, and I want you to think about this as you leave. In the town where you live, where do you go when you need food? Yeah, like the grocery store, right? Okay, very good. You go to the grocery store. Where do you go if you need grass seed? Flea farm. There you go if you're from the Midwest. Very good. Yes. Where do you go if you need socks? I like Target, but I go to Walmart. Yeah. We can all agree that we need more value. We need to see and know real value in this world. We need hope. We need peace. We need unconditional love. We need the forgiveness of sins. We need companionship, affirmation. We need to know who we are, day after day after day. Just because you feel good about those things today does not mean you're going to feel good about them tomorrow. And that is the way of living, not just as a Christian but as a person in this world. Do we know where to go for those things? Does the world know where to go for those things? We have to go to church. The church has what the world needs. The church has what you need. That's not old-fashioned. That's not outdated. At church, you receive Jesus. That's what you get. And Jesus is all you need. If you're struggling with a, with a bad conscience, you need Jesus in the confession and absolution of your sins. If you're struggling with not knowing what to do and you have a question about your life, man, man, you need Jesus in his word, in his Holy Spirit given to you to guide you and direct you. If you feel weak and alone, you need Jesus. If you feel like you don't have value in this world, you need Jesus given to you in his body and his blood. Holy Communion. Go to church. Receive the good gifts of God. Receive Jesus. Jesus. God does not need anything that you have to give him. You need what God has to give you to get through this world, to face the struggles of sexual propaganda and the the attacks of Satan on your life, your life, the most treasured possession of God. If you're the sort of person who is receiving those gifts of God over and over again, receiving Jesus over and over and over what will come of it? Fruit, the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. The good things of God come from receiving Jesus over and over and over. You matter. You have tremendous value in this world and every human life matters just as much as you do. God be with you all, and don't you ever question for a moment your value in Christ as daughters of the King.